Very occasionally, and it is only occasionally, I've had a conversation with someone in response to a sermon or a Bible study. Not always necessarily a sermon that I've preached or a Bible study that I've led necessarily. But that person has come up and said, that's not what I believe. What I believe is this. And so often the best response to that kind of comment is, well, what are the scriptures that support your view? Oh, I don't know. That's just what I believe. That's what I believe because that's what I believe. Christian people and Christian churches cannot and must not think that way. That that's what I believe just because that's what I believe. We can't have that kind of mind. We're not at liberty to decide for ourselves what we believe without reference to the Bible. This is an important factor in what John says in in these next verses in 1 John chapter 5. John's been telling us that the man or woman or young person who professes to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose claim is that the Lord Jesus is their personal saviour, that that person will be marked out in three important and very significant ways. And it happens in the life of every true believer. These marks will be there. They embrace the lordship of Christ over their life. And it displays itself in that they gladly and willingly submit themselves to the commandments of Christ. And they joyfully obey his word. Because that's the kind of person that God has made them to be in Christ. Secondly, they'll lovingly embrace God's people in a loving and caring way. Of course, one of the most basic ways that that works itself out is that that believer becomes a member of a local church. And that is the basic framework in which that love expresses itself. Living in fellowship with Christ's people in the context of church. I'll be talking a little more about that tonight from Philippians chapter 1. Perhaps on the subject of belief, um, when it comes to things like church and church membership, perhaps there are some here that are still not 100% convinced on the emphasis that churches like ours places on membership, or perhaps of the way that churches like ours structure and define membership in a document like a constitution. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight in Philippians 1 as well. But then going back to 1 John, all Christians are convinced and in agreement when it comes to truth and doctrine. And in particular, John's emphasis is who you believe the Lord Jesus Christ was and is and what it was and is that Christ does in the life of Christian people. 
And if 1 John is a letter that you've not really ever read before, as we come to verse 6, it might seem perhaps that John suddenly starts to employ a slightly different type of vocabulary and language. And maybe on first reading, it seems that he's maybe gone off on a little bit on a tangent at that point, where he suddenly starts talking about the water and the blood, and, and it seems a little bit strange language, and we're not quite sure what he means. Uh, has, has he wandered off into a completely different area here? Well, I want to show you that's not the case, and that these perhaps more difficult sounding verses that we just read actually do follow the train of thought that John has been pursuing. So I want to talk about uh, three things this morning. First is um, your belief. The second is God's witnesses. And then thirdly, what should the result be? So what about your belief? Why do we believe what we believe as Christians? Why do you believe what you believe? Now that's a question that should constantly be of concern to Christians because all belief rests upon something. The Christian who says, that's just what I believe, is basing that upon something. If it's not based upon the word of God, it will be based upon something else. Even if it's only the pursuit of their own personal agenda. Or even if it's only pandering to their own feelings. When they say that is what I believe, that belief must be based on something. It's not just plucked out of thin air. Perhaps their own background, their upbringing, experiences they've had in the past. Those kinds of things might also play a huge part in what they say they believe. Now, the New Testament writers often make it clear that what they are teaching and the things that are brought to us in God's word that we are being encouraged and exhorted to believe, that these things are being brought based upon reliable evidence and testimony. And so we have the very public nature of Christ's ministry that we read about in the Gospels. This Jesus who was heard and seen by tens of thousands of people. These are attested historical facts that we're bringing to you. They're reliable. The investigative research that Luke conducted before writing his gospel account, which he mentions himself in the opening few verses. All the witnesses to Christ's resurrection, named individuals, and on one occasion, 500 people at once. And this is why John begins this particular letter with these words. Do you remember what he said? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, revealed, made known, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you. Why do we believe what we believe about Christ? Because it comes from reliable testimony and witness. 
aside from the fact that, of course, we believe that the Bible itself is the very word of God, which is an even, that's another argument to put alongside it, of course, but we've got this aspect of testimony and witness backing this up also. Our own judicial system, like most others, relies upon the testimony of witnesses to help the judge or the jury to come to their conclusion. That witness can be verbal testimony from the mouths of people who are witnesses and it can come also in forms of evidence that are produced in court. Maybe forensic evidence, video footage, a shop receipt showing a date and a time and a place and so on. Testimony and evidence, what is and what isn't reliable. And the jury become persuaded as to that which is the truth. Now these truths about Jesus, this talk of John about doctrine and truth that he's mentioning, where do we get them from? How reliable is it? Can it be trusted? I suppose it's the issue I just mentioned before about church membership, for example. Uh, it's quite a helpful example. Uh, I'm happy to tell you what I believe on a, a topic like church membership. But it's not because I've dreamed it up in my own head. I'll take you to chapter and verse and show you why I believe what I believe about church membership and a whole load of other topics if you wish. And if you disagree, it's not enough to just say, I disagree because I disagree. Take me to chapter and verse and show, you, show me why you disagree. Well, now we've got something to talk about. Now we can get to grips with something. But for a Christian to speak on any important topic and to say with a closed Bible, I just disagree because I disagree. That's not good. That's not acceptable. Christians don't think that way. And if we're talking about the biggest topic of them all, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who he is, and what he has done, then we need to be even more certain of the ground on which we stand. Why do we believe what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? How do we as Christians become convinced of these things? Well, in these verses, John talks about God's witnesses. Now, he mentions in verse 7 that, of course, God himself is a witness within himself in heaven. The Father and the Word, the Holy Spirit, these three who are one in verse 7 are, complete, are in complete agreement, of course, as to the person and work of Christ. There's no disagreement about Christ in heaven. Everything is in agreement there. And so there's nothing to worry about in that regard. But what about here on earth? How can we know? Well, John says God has provided witnesses here on earth who bear testimony in verse 10. 
He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. God has given a testimony. And at this point in his letter, John points out to us three witnesses from God bearing testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ as the incarnate God-man who came into the world to be our sin-bearing substitute, our Redeemer, and that he himself might be our righteousness. And John says very bluntly, if you reject the testimony of these witnesses, you are calling God a liar. Well, that's pretty blunt language. And John teaches that there are three witnesses, water, blood, and the Holy Spirit. And at this point, let's be honest, it gets a bit confusing. What does he mean? What are these three witnesses? Well, various explanations have been put forward over the years. Uh, some look to the sacraments of believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they say, well, in those two sacraments there is water and blood. Perhaps it has something to do with that. Some suggest it's the water and blood that flowed from the side of Christ when he was pierced whilst he was hanging on the cross. Perhaps the water and the blood is a reference to that. Some wonder if the water is a reference to the baptising that took place, not just by John the Baptist, but actually by Christ's disciples as Jesus taught. That's something that's often overlooked in the Gospels and is not much talked about, but if you have a look through John chapter 3 and 4, you find reference there to Jesus' early ministry where baptising took place, but it was actually the disciples that did the baptising, not Jesus. Perhaps it's a reference to that when it talks about the things by which Jesus came. But actually, of all the different explanations, I think looking at verse 6 and to notice that what is said by John, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, in that opening little phrase is the clue to understanding what John is talking about. He's talking about things which are historically and factually true about Jesus. Things by which he came. These two witnesses, water and blood, things which relate directly to the life and death of Christ and attested by the apostles. These things which can be shown to be true. Christ's baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist and his death on the cross are for many and for me the most reasonable and satisfactory understanding of these words. John says at the beginning of verse 6 that it was Jesus Christ who underwent those things. He came by those things. And it's significant and here's why. The name Jesus, the name Jesus, it means saviour. It refers to his human nature. It's a name derived from the Old Testament name Joshua. A common name given to ordinary men. This baby, said the angel, 
this flesh and blood is to be called Jesus. It's a reference to his human nature. The name Christ being the New, Tef the New Testament equivalent of Messiah refers to his divine nature. And Christ is a most uncommon name. Many people in Israel gave their sons a name such as Joshua or something similar. No one was calling their son Christ. Peter understood that this Jesus was of divine origin, the Christ. But not merely of divine origin, because in one sense, we as God's creatures are of divine origin, aren't we? But rather that Jesus shared the very divine nature of God. The Christ, the Son of the living God, declared Peter. And so John says, Jesus Christ, this is the one he's talking about. This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, the man who is God. This is the one of whom we're testifying. And John is affirming for us that at the moment of Christ's baptism, he was Jesus Christ. He was the man who is God. And in part, John is refuting some of the great errors that were circulating around the church today, uh, in his day, and can still be heard today. At his baptism, Jesus didn't become the Christ. He wasn't appointed to be the Christ at his baptism. He wasn't just a man who God happened to choose, like he chose so many in Old Testament days. He was already the Christ because he was supernaturally born the Christ. And there at his baptism, as heaven opened and as God spoke and as the Spirit descended, there was the God-man fully testified, witnessed. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross and died, he was still the Christ. He hadn't ceased to be the Christ at that point as some were teaching and only died as a man. He's addressing various heresies of his day. The man who arrived on the banks of the River Jordan to be proclaimed by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. At that very moment, he was already, because he had already, always been, the man who is God, Jesus Christ. The man who the crowds struggled to look upon through the gloom of Calvary as the darkness fell, as he hung there in shame and agony on a Roman cross, that is the one, says John, who is the man who is God. Even the Roman centurion was convinced at that moment. This is no ordinary man that I've crucified today. 
He truly was the Son of God. And John is saying, these testify of Christ. This is who came. This is who died. These two things are crying out as witnesses to who Christ is and why he came and what he has accomplished. And all of this is testified of by the work of the Holy Spirit. There are three that bear witness. The water, the blood, and the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And this is what you now believe testifies the Holy Spirit in the heart and life of every Christian. And he convinces us and he convicts us that these things spoken about Christ are true. And that's why as a Christian, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, every time you pause and think upon Christ, your heart still burns within you, fully convinced of these glorious truths, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You're convinced and you're sure and you're certain. Now, what are the results of these things to be? What is the result to be? Well, John is saying that the Christian has the very witness of God himself, God the Holy Spirit within, testifying that these things concerning Jesus Christ are the truth. The Holy Spirit himself will tell you this. Now, if you speak to Christians, you'll discover that there are many who go through times when they really lack assurance in their faith. Now, you might be a Christian who's never really gone through that, and you might struggle to see how other Christians could, but actually it happens quite often. It's even possible to convince yourself that you're not a Christian at all, even when you are. Now, when that happens, the result is that that person tends to look more and more intently inwardly that person starts to look more and more at themselves. And they start to ask a question. What do I think of me? But that's the wrong place to look. And it's the wrong question to ask. The place to look, you see, is to Christ's baptism. And to hear again those events by means of God's word. The question is to ask, as you look at Christ, what do I think of him? When you feel that you lack assurance, you're to look at Christ and ask yourself this question. What do I think of him? Because you see, these things will testify When I read John the Baptist's words, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is that what I believe? And if you're a Christian, even with huge doubts about yourself, you'll discover that you're still in no doubt about Christ. 
He is the Lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world. He is God's beloved Son in whom God is well pleased. You may not see much in yourself that pleases you, but if you're a Christian, you'll still be in no doubt about Christ. The place to look is the cross. Who do you see there? The question to ask is this. As you look at the cross, what do I think of him? Are you nodding in agreement, even in your heart, as you hear the centurion declare that this man truly was the Son of God? Are you nodding in agreement as you remember the angel speaking of the one who would save his people from their sins? What is the testimony of these things and of God's spirit within you? Do they not still testify to you this Jesus is who he said he is? You know this is the truth. When you're feeling unsure, when you're lacking Christian assurance, they are the places to look and those are the questions to ask. And be reassured again of your hope and your trust in Christ. You may not think much of yourself as a Christian right now. If you're in that place where you lack assurance, but you're in a conviction about Christ crucified for sin, and for sinners remains unchanged if you belong to him. You know that's still who he is. And John reminds all Christians of this one simple and glorious truth. You have the witness that you need. The Holy Spirit will do his work. And you look at Christ and you see him for who he is. And he says very simply in verse 10 that if you believe, then you have the witness within yourself. The Holy Spirit is there. He's doing his work within you. And if you believe, then you may know that you have eternal life. Now you might have all kinds of circumstances going on right now that bring all kinds of doubts and fears and anxieties into your mind and upon your heart. But look again to Christ and ask those questions. What do I think of him? And the Holy Spirit will testify in your own heart. You know this is true. You know this is true. You know this is true. And the scripture says that if you believe you know you have eternal life. You know the doubt will dissipate. The doubt will fade. God has given you eternal life and this life is in his son. And you know Christians can have this assurance. Christians can have this certainty. This isn't arrogance that I am right, not at all.
This is the testimony of God in the heart and life of every Christian believer. You know. You're convinced. This is the Holy Spirit doing his convincing work of truth within your heart and life. Look again to Christ. Let me show you again your Savior. Let me convince you once more of all that he is and all that he has done as you look at him. And he will. He will. And this is how you continue as a Christian. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, John just wants you to be assured in that that you've already been assured of. He actually, he's not moving you on to something new. He's taking, to, he's taking you back actually to where you began. And that just continues in the life of the Christian. All those things that you first believed and took hold of when you first trusted in Christ, just continue. Just continue in that. Continue to believe who you are in Christ Jesus because of who he is. That's why John has written. You see, it's not by looking into yourself and asking, what do I think of me? That's usually not a good place to look. Not a good question to ask. It's by looking unto Jesus and asking this simple question. What do I think of him? What do you think of him? And the spirit will come. And the spirit will testify with your own spirit. And you will know. That you are in Christ. And that he is the truth. Might we all have that assurance in our hearts.